So these amazing communities have been forming over the years where people go to find support, to give support, to talk about their lived experiences. And so we have thousands of people, tens of thousands of people talking about their symptoms and their experiences. And now that we can analyze those conversations, turn them into insights, and then you know, do something um, with the information, react to the information. It's so powerful. Patients with rare and chronic diseases and their caregivers often find support and solace in online communities where they can openly ask questions and share firsthand experiences. Yet, there are patients who feel unheard and drug developers seeking unfound insights. What would it look like to break down this wall, to deliver wisdom from these patients to scientists and clinicians, while respecting the privacy of these communities? I'm Todd Poli, and in this episode of Vital Science, we sit down with Maria Picone, founder and CEO of The Trend Community, to discuss how the organization ethically partners with invite-only online communities and uses machine learning and natural language processing to turn anecdotes into evidence for rare and chronic disease patients. Welcome to Vital Science, Maria. We're honored to have you here with us today. Thanks, Gina. I'm excited to be here. So I think we have a really um, interesting topic today and um, uh, something that maybe people haven't thought about before, but certainly is really a game changer, I think, in the field of rare disease, and that's Trend Community. And uh, it was uh, born in 2017 by a personal experience of yours. So I'd love to hear how it started. Sure. So actually, the seed of the idea started in 2012 um, when uh, our first child was born with a rare disease called Prader-Willi syndrome. And prior to that, my husband, Chris, and I, we had been working in digital health, data analytics. Um, I'd worked in pharma and regulatory affairs. Um, and when our daughter was born, um, we were pretty well resourced to be able to go to the medical literature and try to understand what this diagnosis meant for our daughter, for our family. Um, but it wasn't until I joined Facebook um, and found a group of caregivers of kids living with um, PWS that we really had hope for the first time. And what I was really struck by in that moment was what appeared to be a pretty big gap between what we'd read about the disease in the medical literature and what appeared to be possible for a kid uh, born today with this rare condition. And PWS is mostly associated with two things. One is, it's called hyperphagia, which is a chronic insatiable hunger. So even someone with a normal IQ who is living with hyperphagia, they'll forage for food from a trash can, or families have to lock up their kitchens to keep their family members safe. The second thing is um, obesity. So over the years, the, the, their metabolism kind of downshifts. So it's sort of a perfect storm. Um, so for obvious reasons, our community was fully focused on finding treatments 
for those things. Um, but we were told that would never be a, a problem for our daughter. We would never have to deal with hyperphagia because there were so many promising drugs um, in clinical development. Um, we can talk about it later. Fast forward, she's 10, it is our problem. One by one, all of those clinical trials are failing. But at that time, we were sort of working on the assumption we didn't wouldn't have to deal with that. And so we knew that PWS was very complex. And so we thought, okay, what can we learn from the conversations that we're hearing in this closed community that might give us some clues about how we might manage the disease so that our daughter could have the best possible health outcome? And we did that quite successfully. One of the first insights that we gleaned, we realized that parents were talking a lot about issues related to sleep. And in fact, they thought that their kids were faking falling asleep. Um, and we can talk uh, more about how we do it, but we, we used this, this approach, this social listening approach to connect uh, PWS with another rare disease, narcolepsy. And we started, we formed Trend in 2017 because in 2016, the year before, the FDA passed the 21st Century Cures Act, which basically obligated the pharmaceutical industry to incorporate the patient voice into every stage of drug development. Wonderful. And before we even dive deeper into how that all comes together and the mechanisms behind it, tell us about your daughter. Uh, so as I mentioned, my daughter is now 10 years old. She loves dogs and horses. Um, she's in the fifth grade. She's in a mainstream classroom, um, but she gets a lot of support. And uh, one thing that I find really interesting about her um, on the rare disease side of things is even though she's lived with Prader-Willi syndrome her whole life, she was actually diagnosed with narcolepsy um, a couple of years ago. And if you ask her, you know, why she sees so many doctors and takes this medicine or that, she'll say that she has narcolepsy. So, you know, making that connection and finding a treatment for her um, to, to treat those symptoms has been really life-changing. And over the last 10 years, how have you come to better understand Prader-Willi syndrome through your work with the trend community? Yeah. So especially in the sleep space, we've made a lot of progress. So um, from those early days um, where we started to make that connection and we were able to use the data um, to appeal to the community to say, hey, um, you know, your kid probably isn't faking it, it has a name um, and it's called narcolepsy. And back then, we didn't have the words, right? We, we were describing the symptoms, but we didn't have the language to call it narcolepsy. Fast forward, when we do social listening, our community now has those words in their lexicon, which is a really powerful aspect to the, to the process that we use to, to create these insights. But then once the community became informed, then um, we were able to empower the community members with the reports and take them to their neurologists. And ironically, we were all seeing neurologists because um, our kids are on growth hormone. Um, we're one of the few lucky rare disease communities that has an approved therapy. Um, growth hormone was approved for PWS uh, in 2000. So we were able to take those reports, go to our neurologist and say, 
I think my kid might be experiencing narcolepsy. Will you do the daytime sleep study? And as a result of that, many kids, including our daughter, um, now have a secondary diagnosis of narcolepsy. And then through podcasts like this and blogs and articles in the New York Times and other other, uh, media outlets and publishing the data, um, we attracted a pharmaceutical company, Harmony Biosciences, who, after bringing their drug to market to treat um, narcolepsy, started working with Trend um, on a clinical trial for that drug to treat the symptoms of PWS. And so over the last few years, we worked with them to design that clinical trial. We helped them with the phase two trial. We ultimately helped um, with recruitment. We used the social listening, the insights to understand some barriers that they were experiencing um, with recruitment. Um, And now I'm excited to say that we are in the process of launching a phase three clinical trial um, with Harmony. Wow, that's incredible. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. The Trend community supports individuals with rare and chronic diseases through a system of social listening. Using an app that is transparently installed in collaboration with online communities, Trend gains permissioned access to anonymized conversation data, giving them insights from closed groups that are often not available in public forums. The team then organizes real-world accelerator sessions to analyze the data collaboratively with patients caregivers, key opinion leaders, industry partners, and patient organizations. This process helps identify unmet needs, fills gaps in medical knowledge, and provide meaningful contributions to scientific literature. Let's hear from Maria on how the organization goes about prioritizing this important work. I know that there are thousands of rare diseases that need more therapeutic attention. How do you decide which ones to focus on in your evidence acceleration work? Yeah, so there's two ways. One is uh, community comes to us. Uh, we bootstrapped the company and and basically once we realized we had this opportunity, you know, back in 2017, we put a call out to any communities that wanted to work with us. And most of those groups continue to work um, with Trend. Um, And so then resource permitting, um, we'll do this sort of evidence generation with those communities. And as our tech becomes more and more sophisticated, we're able to do a lot of things, you know, in an automated way, which is great because we always want to be giving back to the communities, whether our projects are, you know, revenue generating or not. And then the other way is that we have a client who comes to us and they have a specific disease state that they're interested in, in which case either we will have some data or uh, we'll go out and we'll try to find a community that would like to partner with us. Or um, generally, the you know our, our pharmaceutical clients are very patient-centric and they'll uh, make warm introductions. It sounds like you've found several avenues to build relationships with patients. How do you make sure your findings get into the hands of clinicians? So there are a couple of different ways that we get the data back to clinicians. In part, it's empowering the community with the information so that they can go to their clinicians like we did with the neurologists. If the community is lucky enough to have, say, neurology involved um, when you're talking about a sleep issue in, in PWS, then it's really just inspiring those clinicians to see those patients. And generally, 
doctors like to publish, researchers like to publish. So uh, we invite clinicians, KOLs, clinicians, uh, specialists to be a part of the solution and co-author these publications with us. And in doing so, I think it really helps people to justify um, investing the time towards, you know, something that may not be, you know, talked about in literature. And then if you don't have the audience, that's when we really start to lean into the publishing. So in gout, for example, it's about, you know, rheumatologists are, are on board, but, you know, how do we get to the primary care physician so that, and so then we start to think about, you know, where should we publish? Um, should we do CME? Should we do a podcast, right? Where are the people that we need to reach? How can we get this information in front of them? But it's the power of the community. I mean, honestly, I think you'll see more and more of it moving forward. It, I think even just telling the gout patient, take this data to your primary care physician. You know, if you're talking about we're working in a new disease state, IgG4, RD, and these patients are seeing all different kinds of specialists. And so, again, it's really getting this information in front of rheumatologists, getting it in front of um, GI doctors. And if you've seen it one patient, you have that patient sort of in the back of your mind. So if you've read something along the way and then a patient comes to you, you're more likely to kind of remember, yeah, I saw this somewhere. How can I find more resources about it? There's been a lot of backlash against the idea of Dr. Google and seeking disease information online. In light of this, how do we encourage patients to share their voice within these communities and understand the value of what they find there? I mean, I think the community, I think that people, you know, more and more are, to your point, going straight to the internet to find everything. And so I think that if there is a community and if they are creating materials and putting it out there and doing the podcasts and doing the blogs, um, they're going to be found. One of our partners, Global Healthy Living Foundation, was talking about a wonderful idea, which is really how can we think about how to influence the SEO? So the search engine optimization. So as we identify these areas to Gina's point about, you know, where there might be misinformation or there might be a paucity of information around something. How do we, as sort of these coalitions, think about how we can influence, come up with strategies um, to influence the SEO so that when people do Google it, they're getting good information and they're getting connected to these resources. I mean, I think the nice thing about the online communities, I mean, we all know that patient organizations play a key role in the quality of life of a patient or caregiver on their journey. For a lot of these rare diseases, what if the number's like 10,000 plus now, there's not always a, you know, a, an organization. So I think those groups on social media sometimes are the only support that people have. What about the therapeutic areas? Are there some that are well attended or, or you're, you're seeing significant activity with? Yeah, we happen to be doing so in the rare neurodevelopmental space. 
a lot of the sleep work. So this the the PWS sleep work led us to the narcolepsy community. So we're doing a lot of work in narcolepsy, idiopathic hypersomnia. It also raised awareness within other communities. Um, we're doing a lot of work in hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy, which is sort of an umbrella. There are a lot of rare epilepsies that that sort of live in that community. And then we're also doing um, a lot of work in autoimmune inflammatory conditions like gout, scleroderma, Sjogren's, lupus. Um, and again, the work has sort of expanded organically because there are a lot of comorbidities there. Um, and so one project and one community leads us to start working with another one. A goal of the Trend community is to combat misinformation within rare and chronic disease communities. Their approach involves refining data analysis techniques using the NIH's unified medical language system to ensure precise terminology alignment. This minimizes the risk of misunderstanding and misinformation when community members discuss their symptoms. Collaboration is a cornerstone of the organization's approach. Trend partners with patient groups and community administrators, empowering them to differentiate scientifically supported information from unverified remedies. For example, Trend worked with the Gout Support Group of America to steer discussions towards scientifically validated topics like uric acid monitoring and away from less substantiated approaches like apple cider vinegar or cherry juice. But their work doesn't stop at listening. The Trend team actively disseminates relevant information back into these communities. For example, their gout research revealed that proactive management, including uric acid monitoring and consultations with rheumatologists, correlated with positive mental health language. Conversely, reactive management, such as ER visits, was associated with negative mental health language. Findings like these are presented at patient and scientific meetings and published in collaboration with the community, promoting a feedback loop of informed and accurate information. Let's hear from Maria on how this information can influence the drug development process. It's clear that the insights coming out of the trend community can really benefit patients, caregivers, advocates. But you mentioned at the start your work has influenced a therapy that is going through clinical trials. Are you finding these insights to be valuable to other stakeholders like regulatory groups and sponsors too? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's listening, right? So these amazing communities have been forming over the years where people go to find support, to give support, to talk about their lived experiences. And so we have thousands of people, tens of thousands of people talking about their symptoms and their experiences. And now that we can analyze those conversations, turn them into insights, and then, you know, do something um, with the information, react to the information, it's so powerful. And of course, at the end of the day, if you can then couple that with, with real stories. So we love to have Whenever we're doing workshops or we're having talks at conferences, having a, an actual person living with a condition, a caregiver, a care partner, telling their stories, but then showing that their experiences are also being experienced by thousands of other people. Um, that's when it becomes really powerful because I think 
that over the years, all of the different stakeholders that you've described, pharma, the FDA, other regulatory agencies, they've developed all of these platforms to listen. We have patient-focused drug development meetings, listening sessions, ad comps, all those things. They're all super powerful, um, but you're only ever going to get, you know, so many people sharing their personal stories. So by tapping into all of the experiences shared on social media, it just gives another level of perspective to those um, to those stories when we hear them. I think we can all perhaps recognize that there are some mental health challenges that come with um, anybody involved in um, having a family member or, um, you know, someone they know that is suffering from a rare disease. And that Trend has been uh, publishing it on the mental health challenges. Is there anything you can share with us around any real world findings that you're seeing come to light through the Trend technology and approach? Yeah, I mean, I think just to set the stage, at least 10% of any data set that we look at are conversations um, that are related to mental health topics um, and often upwards of 20%. So any community that we go into, there's always a lot of conversation around mental health. In fact, last year we spent our data science team they invested a lot of time in actually developing these mental health classification models so we could quickly go into those conversations, pull out those that are related to mental health, and then focus on them. And I think a lot of interesting things have come out of that. I talked about gout, and I think not only I recognizing that mental health issues impact the community, but actually that when you when you treat the mental health issues as well, we're noticing that the patients have better health outcomes um, generally. I think being able to, to demonstrate that is super powerful. Other examples, we recently did a project where we looked at conversations around um, taking a medicine. It was for narcolepsy where patients had to take a medicine before they went to bed and get up in the middle of the night and take a second dose. And what we found was that patients were not, they were underreporting the challenges that they were having with that dosing regimen because they were afraid that this medicine that was life-changing to them could be taken away. And so I think that is, you know, not necessarily obviously related to mental health, but I think all of these different things that patients are are living with and the way that it impacts how they think about their disease, you know, the decisions that they have to make every day um, to ensure that they have quality of life. So I that was something that was really striking to me as well. And, and interesting also, um, you know, while we have to be careful about not capturing misinformation as you as you said. Also interesting that people, when they feel anonymous, are willing to talk about things that they may not feel comfortable talking about, even to their healthcare providers. Yeah. You're in a unique position to capture a lot of the things that people aren't saying out loud, aren't sharing publicly, pull that together, and then use that as potential data to indicate 
a problem or an opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. In this particular case, we were able to um, do the social listening, identify all of the issues that people were having, quantify them. And then actually this goes towards understanding um, what is validating the findings. We then fielded a survey and we, because we developed these trusted relationships with the community, we were able to reach out to the community and ask people to participate in a survey. And within two weeks, we had about 90 people respond to the survey and the results of the survey validated the findings um, that we were seeing on social media and, and vice versa. So you mentioned that 10 to 20% of the conversations you see in patient groups are about mental health and that, in your opinion, a similar proportion of doctor's appointments should be dedicated to this topic. Are you seeing any progress in that direction? Now that you've presented this data on gout, for example, are doctors asking those questions? That's a good question. I don't think we're quite there yet that we could, I could really speak to that. I think we're making a really hard push in gout to change that narrative. I think the other goal would be, you know, how do we prepare? Actually, one of our clients was talking about this, an MSL was saying, wouldn't it be great if you helped to create a list of questions based on our insights that a patient could take to their doctor, give it to the doctor so the doctor could ask them those questions? I mean, I think part of the problem is, especially when you're living with a complex medical condition, there are only so many minutes in your visit. How do you even ensure that you're covering all the topics? So I thought that was a great idea too, like not only giving the data, but also empowering the community with kind of questions that they can bring to their clinicians. So I, I don't have a, a pulse on how we're moving the needle yet, you know, in the, in the clinic or in the doctor's office, but I, I think we'll, you know, let's next year, <laughs> we'll hopefully have some data around that. Meanwhile, the trend team is hoping to move the needle on mental health offered outside the doctor's office. The organization has highlighted the mental health burden experienced by caregivers and individuals with rare conditions, emphasizing the importance of the mental health journey and providing support when appropriate. In addition, the trend team recognizes the natural role of community members in providing support and aims to empower them with tools for peer support while safeguarding their own mental health. In the organization's recent work with Myasthenia Gravis on platforms like Reddit, they expanded insights by following breadcrumbs of user activity, allowing them to understand the patient's journey leading up to the diagnosis. The team realized that pre-diagnosis, there are often conversations happening related to mental health, with individuals seeking support for specific issues in relevant subreddits and social media groups. Through partnerships with psychologists and nonprofit organizations, Trend is hoping to answer this call for expanded mental health support for rare and chronic disease patients and their caregivers. I know your work is often with professionals and organizations dedicated to rare disease, but I love the concept of the citizen scientist that you shared in your hashtag rare is video a few years back. Can you share more about that for those who may be unfamiliar with the concept? 
was a while ago, but we still we still name a citizen scientist every year. And I think that um, it's becoming more and more possible for individuals to make an impact. And so for us, a citizen scientist is someone who recognizes that there's an unmet need in the community, and then they empower themselves to find a solution. And so um, I can give you some examples in the prutter willie syndrome example with the sleep. It's not just the, the AI. The AI is important, um, but I, I've told many stories. The people that, uh, that join us on this journey are just as important. And uh, back then, or in early days, there was uh, an immunologist. Her name is Laura Pullen. She has a son um, with PWS. She's, um, did I say she was an immunologist? So she's a mom, she's an immunologist. And she, as we started to, to you know, have this aha moment that the kids were experiencing these cataplexy symptoms, she was actually the one that discovered patolicin, which is um, is the drug that I was telling you about that Harmony Biosciences brought to market. And it had just been approved um, in Europe. And so to me, that's a citizen scientist, someone who um, has a problem, finds a creative way to collect some real world evidence, and then pulls together the team that they need to find a solution. And fast forward, um, we're actually naming Gary Ho as the, the community member that started the Gout Support Group of America. And so, you know, having those brave individuals who have the problem and find the solution and then in doing so have such a positive impact on, you know, entire community of people. Um, so yeah, please, I would love people to visit our website and learn about all of our citizen scientists. That's really exciting. I think um, another aspect that I'm curious about is this is such a huge collaboration. You've talked about so many different pieces of um, groups that take part in this, have a, a part in helping it to be successful. Could you tell us about any collaborations that maybe we haven't touched on? You know, how are you collaborating with groups like Charles River, CROs, or or other key opinion leaders and um, other sponsors to enable this to be a successful effort? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that I love about what we do is that it really inspires sort of pre-competitive collaboration. I think that Everyone who joins one of our real world evidence accelerators, they probably have some, you know, personal reason for doing it, um, some motivation um, for doing that. But I think every single stakeholder shares a desire to do something bigger than whatever it is that they're, you know, the, the, the problem that they're, they're trying to solve in front of them. Um, I would say, and on the client side of things, um, we've done some amazing things in sleep um, pre-competitively. I told you about Harmony Biosciences. Avidel is another organization that joined the, the Sleep Real World Evidence Accelerator. And we're now partnering um, with a, a pediatric neurologist, Dr. Ann Morse, 
and there's lots of different stakeholders. There, there are nonprofit organizations and, and admins of these groups. But uh, what I think is interesting with that particular group of people is really this idea that we really need to listen to what people are saying on, on social media. Um, Dr. Morris, actually, um, we started partnering because she, she gives a lot of talks and she talks about as a, as a sleep specialist that she goes to social media to understand what's happening um, for the exact reason that I, that I mentioned before, that patients aren't always telling their healthcare providers um, what's happening on the day-to-day. So that's been a really exciting collaboration. And, and obviously, you know, we've, we've played a, a role in bringing a couple of drugs to market, which is exciting. In some of the work that we're doing on the autoimmune inflammatory um, side of things, it's interesting because, as I mentioned, there's so many comorbidities. Um, so we have the Gout Support Group of America, but we're working with the Arthritis Foundation, Global Healthy Living Foundation. Um, as I mentioned, Horizon Therapeutics has been such an incredible um, client to work with, supporting all of these different stakeholders that are kind of coming into this accelerator and I think the the really interesting thing, again, is sort of that ability for everyone to take away from the experience something that drives forward their own initiatives, but then carve out some time to, to participate in whatever sort of um, unmet need we've all identified. So like I said, with the gout example, we're working a manuscript around proactive and reactive management of gout and its impact on mental health. So it's really important to get that in the literature so that we get it in front of rheumatologists and they understand how important it is to provide these mental health resources. So to me, it's really um, incredible to see how you can bring so many people together and get something done so quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your use of the word accelerator really strikes me and I think it would be interesting to put our arms around to what extent has this work really accelerated the treatments? Are, are patients getting relief? And, you know, I bet it's quite impactful. You know, I don't know if you've ever measured that, like the true acceleration that if this didn't happen or, or because of this, we've moved this forward, you know, at a faster rate or... Yeah. Uh, so I will say, you know, Harmony's drug is in phase three clinical trials, Avidel's uh, drug recently came to market and the work we did around the need for a once nightly sodium oxabate therapy, all of that work that I talked about, we were able to um, pull it all together and write a letter to the FDA describing the unmet need and advocating for a once nightly therapy. Uh, and shortly after we did that work, um, that drug uh, was approved uh, for the treatment of narcolepsy. So I know that it was just a piece of the puzzle, um, but we're we're seeing progress. And then to me, the other piece is looking at the shifts in behavior. So we did this work in in gout. We actually looked at recently the last three months of of conversations compared to the last year. And we can see that the conversations around uric acid monitoring are going up and the conversations around cherry juice and apple cider vinegar are going down. And similarly, as I mentioned before, in Prader-Willi syndrome, we did a recent analysis 
we're now using that word narcolepsy. We have that in our lexicon. So I think that it demonstrates, one, the power of doing social listening and giving back to the communities and co-creating with all of these stakeholders. But I think it also speaks volumes to those citizen scientists, right, and the people who are really driving these initiatives to change the narrative. Um, and we're just giving them a tool in their toolbox to be able to do that. So yeah, um, yeah we're, we have lots of examples. And I think AI is is only getting more and more powerful. So I'm hoping we're on really a, you know, we're just at the beginning of something even bigger. Can you expand a little bit more on the your use of AI and where you're at now and maybe even where you see that going forward? Or is that, is it no. just, that's too broad of a question? No, no, it's important. So AI, you know, it takes time to train an engine. And so I'm really excited about uh, where we are. And though, as I alluded to before, um, our focus for our AI is really to understand how patients, caregivers, care partners talk about um, their diseases in their own words. And that's the gap we're filling. And how do we map those to medical and scientific terminologies? And so, you know, the way we talk on social media is it's complicated, you know, and so it's not straightforward. And then and then in addition to that, we're, we're talking about things where we may not have the words. So we're talking about our kids faking, falling asleep, and we're training the engine to make that connection between that and cataplexy. So that's how um, we're using AI. And then we're then able to take the insights and contribute to things like conceptual models for diseases. We're doing a project now to um, create a new conceptual model for Prader-Willi syndrome. So, you know, when we started the work with um, Harmony, it was amazing that we had a pharmaceutical company who was willing to, to work with us, but we didn't have good natural history on narcolepsy and PWS. And so at the time, we were able to use the social listening data to, to at least demonstrate that there was an unmet need and that was part of the justification to the agency to even do a clinical trial around um, excessive daytime sleepiness and an outcome, um, you know, an endpoint that had never been studied in Prader-Willi syndrome. And now fast forward, we're actually able to add the social listening insights to those projects. So when we're creating a conceptual model where we're looking at the literature, we're doing the interviews with the patients and caregivers, but then we're also taking the data that we're getting from social listening and all of that is coming together to define the disease. Fascinating. So not that you haven't given us a lot to think about, and it sounds like you have a busy and exciting future, but so curious as to what's on the horizon that maybe you haven't covered yet. I'm sure there's quite a lot of unmet needs for trend community. How, how are you prioritizing kind of what's, what's next for you? Yeah, when I started, I told you that we founded Trend because we wanted to tackle all of the things that our community wasn't focused on in hopes that we could improve our daughter's quality of life. And we've certainly done that. 
But then I also mentioned that unfortunately, all of the clinical trials for the treatment of hyperphagia have one by one um, failed to meet their primary endpoint. And the reason, part of that reason, I believe, is this, you know, limited disease understanding and trying to measure something that's really difficult to measure. And so the conceptual model work that I'm talking about um, is an attempt to try to broaden our understanding of PWS, and this can certainly be applied. It's been applied. I talked about SLC6A1, um, other communities that are using the social listening to quickly generate new conceptual models um, for these diseases. We're doing this work in partnership with Combined Brain is another organization we work with. And then in their most recent guidance, the FDA is now talking about custom personalized endpoints. Um, One is goal attainment scaling. People can look it up, but they specifically um, speak to goal attainment scaling, which is a methodology that basically can measure anything in a way that is is personalized to the participant in the clinical trial. So um, we're working on a really important initiative right now, creating those conceptual models in partnership with Combined Brain. And then we're working with um, a CRO, um, Ardea Outcomes, a Canadian-based um, CRO that has really, they've really tackled the and, and perfected the goal attainment scaling methodology. And so we're working on a really sort of to innovate on the process to create the goal inventories for those, uh, for the gas methodology, and then looking for pharmaceutical partners who would be willing to then use um, the the gas methodology in their um, in their clinical trials and as an exploratory endpoint so that we can validate it for PWS or for SLC6A1 or, you know. Yeah. So that's where I'm really excited. And I'm hoping that we can, um, we can approve more drugs uh, for rare diseases because I think there are lots of drugs out there that show promise. And for some reason, we're just having a really hard time getting them over the finish line. Oh, really um, I don't know, powerful and inspiring uh, efforts on your part, Maria. How can our listeners of Vital Science um, help? What, what, is, what are you looking for from the general population to you know, help move this important movement forward? Uh, yeah, we're looking for stakeholders from every aspect of of the community. We call it community with capital C. If you're if you're a rare disease community um, that needs help driving therapeutic progress, contact us. If you are, you know, a key opinion leader, if you're a clinician, and you and you have identified an unmet need, either come to trend or find a community and and try to to think about a a creative solution um, to solve for that problem. And I think for pharmaceutical companies, I think that just really adopting the habit of listening and going and not presuming to know and and being willing to kind of explore where community is um, so that you can meet them there. My hope is that as we have treatments come online and potentially even cures, the phenotypes of these diseases are going to continue to shift. So we can't just keep relying on old 
information to develop drugs or to, you know, determine what a community needs. So I'm just hoping that that this will inspire people to kind of think outside the box and to really listen to what patients and caregivers are saying. Very well said. Well, thank you for your time today, Maria. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks, Tina. It's a pleasure to be here. Maria Picone is the founder and CEO of the Trend Community. Looking ahead to our December episode of Vital Science, we'll wrap up the year with our annual Checking Vitals episode, Disruptors Edition, where we'll review three changemakers making bold moves in the drug development industry. Until then, thanks for listening. Did you know that Charles River has a sister podcast, Eureka's Sounds of Science? This monthly podcast shares scientific, patient, and advocacy perspectives on trending issues in the drug development industry. You can subscribe to Vital Science and Sounds of Science on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.